Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for them. Today's episode is the eighth part in our series called Revolutionary, with a conversation being led by lead pastor Yukon Chu. Today and this weekend is a very unique and special weekend for our city, but also uh, the larger world. And let me share with you why it's such an important day. Uh, first of all, today, our oldest African-American Christian community in New Brunswick, the AME Church, Mount Zion AME, is celebrating its 190th birthday today. Um, yeah, pretty exciting stuff, pretty amazing, uh, 190 years old. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. But not only is it um, this congregation celebrating its 190th birthday, it also represents the oldest, the first and oldest African-American denomination in the United States. Uh, they formed, actually, because of racism uh, back before the country, or as the country was being founded, and they were not included in the faith community of that time, and so they had to come out and form their own. And so that's an important thing to recognize, and today is the celebration of at least New Brunswick's AME congregation. But it's also today a day called Reformation Sunday. And this is a Sunday where actually we celebrate the 500 birthday, 500 year birthday of what you may know as the Protestant Reformation. And what this was, was a movement in Europe some 500 years ago looking to reform the church, the spiritual community of that time. Now, both of these movements, the AME, African Methodist Episcopal Movement, that started in the U.S. some 200 years ago, and the Reformation that started some 500 years ago, are really important for us to commemorate here today. And the reason is because they helped the community of Jesus get better. They were reacting and responding to some injustices and corruption of the time in the Jesus community. And we want to commemorate that for helping make our community better. At the same time, they also started movements that put tension on the Jesus community because we ended up being more fragmented than ever because of these movements. And so that's why I use the word commemorate today and not necessarily celebrate. Um, with every movement, with every reform, there is good, but there's also bad. And so I think today, I, I bring those up because, well, it's, it's the birthdays. So we should actually acknowledge that in our history, uh, at least here in the United States and here in, in the West, so to speak. But these movements have touched the whole world. Uh, some of you know the history of Protestantism. It enabled a number of things uh, with the Jesus community. But I bring that up not just to celebrate, but it actually, I bring it up actually because it also 
has a lot to do with our conversation here this morning. If you remember last week, uh, in our series called Revolutionary, we began a very, very important conversation on the issue of what it doesn't mean to have unity in diversity. Just as a recap, just to remind us uh, why we were talking about that, you'll remember that some 2,000 years ago, uh, the Jesus movement came to planet Earth, and it came specifically into a city called Ephesus. This was the second most important city in the Roman Empire. Uh, outside of Rome, it was the second most important city, the center of commerce, religion, ideas, you know, you name it, it was happening in Ephesus. And what happened some 2,000 years ago was that this city went through a revolution. We have historical records of this city turning upside down because the Jesus movement touched this ancient city. And so we've been asking this question for the last couple months now, how did this revolution happen? Why did this city change so much? How did that go through this change? We've been asking this, of course, because all of us want change ourselves, not just personally, but as a community for our city, for our country. We look around on the news and we realize that, man, this just, things just aren't going right. Why is it this way? And how can we bring about this change? And so we've been looking at this city. We've been looking at what Jesus did in the city to see if we can learn something for ourselves even today. And so last week, we began the conversation of this issue of unity and diversity. How can we achieve unity in the midst of our diversity? It turns out that this city of Ephesus discovered something about Jesus that actually revolutionized their understanding of unity and diversity. And so that began a transformation or continued the transformation there. Today, we're going to pick that up and continue the conversation. And we're going to get started as we usually do, with some discussions right around our table. If you missed last week, don't worry. You'll fit in right pretty easily to this discussion. We're going to look at this question here this morning about the issue of motivation. Change is one thing. It's good to talk about it. But how do we actually motivate ourselves? to change, specifically when it comes to being a, diver a diverse community. How do you motivate yourself to love someone different from you, especially in terms of culture and economics? Two minutes, five questions. Two minutes, five questions. Two minutes, one question here. Discuss it with your table partners, and we'll bring it back. All right? Let's talk about this today. All right, I, I realize this is a, obviously a big question, and you probably have a number of thoughts, but who would like to share with us, as a large group here, what, what they're thinking of, how they, how they motivate themselves, all right? We got something back here, Deborah? Well, first of all, we have to get rid of the um, color barrier. Um, that's uh, not uh, real easy for me. It's been easy for me. Uh, thank you, God. But... Um, we were talking in our group uh, with Rita was saying in, that she, when she lived in Egypt, even though they had uh, Christian Muslims of all shades and colors, that they all went to everybody's house and did whatever. And here in the, this world, in America, <laughs> 
everybody, you got to make appointments. And it's hard to even really want to talk to anybody. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So, there's, there's, you, you, you have to get through the color barrier. You have to get through issues of uh, how people make appointments to figure out how to love each other. Okay. Other thoughts? Other thoughts? How do you, how do you motivate yourself to love across these barriers? I think it was a consensus here that is two things. Um, you have to consider culture and you have to consider the economics, but at the same time, um, if you remove those two things, um, there is uh, where where's the common boundaries that you have, like the you know connections that you have, and it's just being human. But um, um, like Lou said, she does like you know the culture because it allows you to understand the person, yeah. and. Um, we have to consider culture because it's how they act may be offensive, but at the same time, we have to understand that cultures are different. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah, so so there's a need to understand the common humanity, but also a need to appreciate perhaps the differences in culture. Yeah, that's that's very important. There's a a give and take, a both and kind of perspective. Anybody else? How do you motivate yourself? Yeah. Um, I think about it this way, I think that um, when I'm tempted to put someone down because they're different from me, I remember that God doesn't put people down or focus on the negative, but he sees the good in everyone, and so I try to see the good in everyone. And then I also remember that people are complex and everyone has a story and reasons for why they behave the way they do or why they're in certain circumstances, so I try to um, understand that as well and realize that I can't... Um, like make a judgment on someone based on the outward appearance because I don't know their whole story. So trying to get to know someone um, and see the good in them and look past the things that might be off-putting to me. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. You know, it, it's interesting, right, this question. Because on one hand, we live in a society right now, right, a globalized, pluralized, multi-ethnic society where the idea of loving people who are different, you, different from you is the norm. It's the expectation. It's what we talk about all the time, what we, I think, in the United States and many cities, we like to say, hey, we're doing a good job with this. But I think you all know, as well as I do, that when you get to the nitty-gritty, when you actually get to the actual relationships, the actual time needed, the actual nitty-gritty of the relationship, you know it's way harder than we like to admit. Uh, again, I was sharing earlier that we've been having an uh, Afghani family uh, in our household for the last uh, five days. And, you know, loving refugees, such a great ideal, a concept that I think all of us here, if we were to go around the room and take a poll, do you love refugees, would you bring them in your home? You would say yes, <laughs> right? Well, let me tell you, it's been tough. It's been tough. And so here's the reality. We, we need to figure out how to, how to actually do this. I mean, again, we could talk about it all we want, but we got to do it. And once we start doing it, when we run into the difficulties, because we will, how do we actually overcome the difficulties? How do we motivate ourselves to actually love? You know, last week in our excerpt, 
we began to see the vision that captured the city of Ephesus. The vision of Jesus that captured the city of Ephesus. Again, uh, this revolution happened. We have historical uh, documentation of this revolution happening because of Jesus. And then uh, a few years after that revolution, a letter was written back to the citizens of Ephesus to remind them of things, to remind them of how they can continue in this revolution. And so uh, last week, we read that excerpt where the author by the name of Paul, he reminded them of this beautiful picture of what Jesus did about the issue of human animosity. He reminded us that when Jesus died on a cross, Jesus took the power of divisiveness, the power of evil between people, the hostility that we have, and he broke that power when he died on the cross. And so he shared a vision of a new humanity that we're supposed to be, where the dividing walls between us, the walls of hostility, can be removed. Now again, I love what this table said here. The vision was not necessarily that we disregard culture, that we somehow become this, you know, cultureless humanity. We will always have culture be a part of us. But like this table said, there's something about the commonality we all have, and especially the commonality through the work of Jesus that we can have, that can help us be that one humanity. Now, here's the deal. He kind of left us up, left us off at that point. The letter, we just looked at them, that excerpt, it just kind of stopped there. And the question is like, okay, so, so what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we be this group? Well, that's where this excerpt picks up. If you can, we have the excerpt on the table. We're going to pick up from this conversation. And what we'll discover here today is that the author Paul, after he paints this picture of this ideal, he all of a sudden stops in his thinking and he's all, okay, you know what we need to do? We need to pray. We just need to pray. In fact, he's done this twice already in this letter. He'll talk about this big vision. He'll remind the city of Ephesus of how the revolution took place and this new kind of status, this new identity they have. He'll, he'll paint the picture and then he'll pause and he'll say a prayer. This is the second time he does it in the letter. And I think it's a good indication of what we actually need to do as well. One of the first things we can do to be a revolutionary, diverse, inclusive community is to pray. Now, for some of us, that seems like a little bit too easy. Like, well, no, no, I need to do something. Prayers, yeah, that, sure, we'll pray, but what do we need to do? No, no. This excerpt, I think, will help us to pause and to remember to pray. The spiritual vitality is crucial to the holistic transformation. Let's take a look. I'll be reading actually um, just the first sentence and the last few paragraphs on your excerpt, and I'll tell you why as we read along, okay? So you'll notice this excerpt, it begins by saying this, for this reason, what is he talking about? Again, he's just painted this huge picture of what humanity is supposed to look like 
through the work of Jesus. For this reason, I, Paul, the, pre- the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then what happens is he kind of takes a diversion. You notice the sentence doesn't complete? And actually, he picks up the sentence all the way back in the third paragraph. Look at small number 14. You'll notice the same word, for this reason, or the same phrase, for this reason. He kind of picks up his train of thought there. Okay, so the prayer actually happens starting again in verse 14. So what's happening in these first two paragraphs? Well, if you were to skim through these first two paragraphs, and that's what we're going to do really quickly now, you'll, you'll notice that he actually essentially ta- reiterates what he just talked about, but now he puts his own personal relationship in connection with what he talks about. Notice... What he says, for example, verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So notice how he's, again, all of a sudden he kind of takes a pause and he's like, oh, hold on, let me remind you again of how I'm a part of this picture. And what we discover in these two paragraphs is that this person, Paul, was was a unique person. He had a special gift from God to actually deal with this issue of racial reconciliation through Jesus. You'll notice that he talks about how he has this role to play in the mystery. Do you notice that in verse 3? This mystery that's made known. Like, I was given charge to take care of this mystery. We keep reading and we realize in verse 6 that this mystery is, notice verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, are heirs together with Israel, are heirs together with the Jewish people. And again, this reminds us of last week's conversation, the biggest racial, social, cultural, ethnic divide of that time in the city of Ephesus was between these Jewish people and these non-Jewish people. Jesus was himself Jewish, but Jesus was beyond Jewish because Jesus is here to create a new humanity. And so he's reminding them of all of these things. And then he continues to talk about how in the second paragraph, starting in verse 7, again, he got this calling to deal with this issue of racial reconciliation through Jesus, through Jesus himself. Jesus revealed himself to him. He has this calling from Jesus. And then, but not only that, he all of a sudden begins to switch to the faith community, to the spiritual community in Ephesus. And he says this, not only is this about me having a special, unique calling, but you all have this unique calling as well. Notice how he says this in verse 10, small number 10. God was doing all these things with an intent, verse 10, that now through the church. Now that word for church, we have 2,000 years of history added onto that word. So let me just clarify what church means when you read it in the original teachings of Jesus. It means gathering of people. Gathering of people around Jesus. It literally just means gathering of people, okay? So it's like us. We're gathered here for Jesus, to explore Jesus. So God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does he mean by there? First of all, if you're taking notes and you have pens on your table, you might want to do this. Circle the word manifold. This is such a special word in the original language. It literally was used 
by cloth makers of the time to describe a multicolored tapestry that they made. And so this word manifold means many-colored, multicolored wisdom of God. Why does he use that word? Well, he's been talking about racial reconciliation, right? So this is a beautiful picture that he's trying to paint. Through the church, through us, through the gathering of people, God's intent was to show the multicolored wisdom of God. We'll show that to who? Notice it keeps going on. To show it to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What is he talking about? The worldview of that time, and I would argue the worldview that we should continue to consider, is that our world is not just made up of what is seen. There are unseen forces in our world, good and bad. And the gathering of people around Jesus who are multicolored, somehow through their multicoloredness, express the wisdom of God to the world we can't see. Now, just let that sink in. This issue of reconciliation has such a bigger purpose than just people getting along. It's such a bigger purpose in our world, in our universe, at least according to Jesus and how he thinks. Let that sink in. And so how do we achieve that? Well, Paul gets back in line, he gets his thinking back straight, <laughs> and he gets focused again, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was starting to pray, actually, because prayer is important. And so he picks up that prayer, starting in verse 14, and he says this, for this reason, okay, here we go, back to the prayer, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. That word for family, you can circle it. He's not just talking about our nuclear family. He means every tribe. So he is, again, talking about the multi-ethnic reality of our world, from whom every tribe in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his, God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's take a pause really quickly and try to decipher what he's just said. There's a lot of religious language here, a lot of spiritual language. It can, we can read this and just really quickly let this pass us by. I want you to ask each other at your tables what exactly is happening here. What, what does this excerpt, what is it actually telling us to pray for? And why do you think the things it's telling us to pray for might be important in developing a multi-ethnic economically diverse community, all right? We'll say three minutes for this one. Three minutes. What is this actually talking about? Can you decipher it together? Feel free to write down notes with your pens. So this excerpt, I think, is very interesting. Again, taking a step back, 
as we think about this vision, right, of being a diverse community, um, again, part of the understanding from the author, and we looked at this last week, was that there was a power behind the, behind the divisions within us, the fi- behind the hostility we had against each other, and those things kept us apart. Not just the divisions and hostility kept us apart, but that power behind it. And we talked about how that power behind it was actually human evil. It's, it's what the Bible would describe as sin. That's ultimately what keeps us apart from each other. And so it's interesting that this prayer, starting in verse 15, begins by asking for power again. Obviously, by asking for God's power And I think the reason why it starts in that place is because, again, as we, here's the deal, right? Like I said earlier, we all know we should love people different from us, right? That's a given, especially in our society. In the city of Ephesus back then, in the Roman Empire, the most racially diverse, economically diverse empire of the day as well, they would have said the same thing. Of course, you know, we we should try to get along, I guess. But here, for sure, we say that, but we all know when we try to actually do it, we run into barriers right away. We could easily look at the barriers outside of us and be like, well, it's their problem or it's the system's problem. But Paul, our author, is saying, no, no, let's get started with us, ourselves, and let's ask God for power ourselves to overcome. Power ourselves to overcome the hostility, the division, in our own hearts. Let's ask God to overcome. And notice how he continues that, right? He, he talks about power literally for ourselves because he describes that power as being or being united or connected with this idea of the spirit being in our inner being and asking that Christ Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith. Why does he focus on our inner being and our heart? Because he's saying, you know what? The problem, the solution has to start within us. Again, we could talk about structural problems. Yes, those are important. You ever try to change structural problems without changed people? I mean, how many of you have been in a workplace where they try to reorganize something at work? But it's the same characters. Nothing changes. Why? Because the people haven't changed. The structure's changed, but the people haven't changed. Same thing with racism. You can change the systems the people aren't changing, it's not changing. Should we change the systems? Yes. Should we work to change that? Yes. But the problem, the deeper problem, is the human condition. And he's asking, again, not just for the power, but for the, the, the indwelling, the long-term residency of Jesus in our lives. Notice, if you're taking notes again, circle the word dwell real quick in verse 17. There are two words the author could have used for the word dwell. Short-term dwelling, like, hey, I'm just going to hang out with you for a couple days, or long-term residency, like, I'm moving in forever kind of dwelling. It's specifically using the second one, okay? The author is using the second verb to describe it, and I think we all know why. He's realizing that, you know what? (laughs) If anything's going to change long-term, 
we are going to need that long-term dwelling of God in our lives, of Jesus in our lives. What does that long-term dwelling do? Oh, man, you know what it does. If you've ever had Jesus dwell with you long-term, there's something in you, that, there's that voice in you, that power in you, that direction in you that's saying, ah, oh, should you have done that? Or, oh, that was really good. Keep it up. Or, man, I feel like a failure. I just messed up again. Don't worry. I love you. Jesus dwelling in us long term is so essential to the transformation process. And then notice in the second paragraph, as the prayer continues, you'll notice that he really just wants to expound on that. And he basically says we should be praying for the power to understand what's not understandable. The power to get a grip on love, God's love. But the funny thing is, right, notice how it's described. It's described as in verse 19, to know this love that actually surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that actually goes beyond knowledge? How do you hold on to something that has no height, nor depth, nor width, nor breadth? Right, notice that's what it says in verse 18. I want you to have power to grasp what actually is endless. I think it's a beautiful attempt to try to say something that is so profound with this issue of human unity and loving those who are different. Ultimately, again, the power cannot come from us. We already know that. We've tried. It doesn't come from us. The love also cannot come from us. It has to come from the outside. It has to come from this bigger love of God. And the more we can understand that wide, incomprehensible, uncontainable love. <laughs> no worries. Don't worry about that. Part of loving different people is loving kids as well, too, right? Kids running all around. No problem. But it's loving, knowing that sort of love. And so here's, here's something that, to just ask ourselves. You know, as we continue this journey to think and process what it means to be revolutionary, how often are you actually praying for this? How often are you actually praying for this change in your own life and in the life of our community? Again, we love the ideal, don't we? We love the ideal. Yes, we want to help refugees. Yes, we want to help the homeless people in New Brunswick. Yes, we want to do this. Yes, we want to do that. It is so easy to talk revolution. But to be revolution, it's impossible. It's impossible. Have you prayed recently to be the revolution? Will you commit here? to begin to pray, to be the revolution. Can you join me in a moment of prayer as we wrap up this discussion? And as we uh, have this moment of prayer, I just want to encourage you to create some space right now in your heart, in your mind. What's stuck out to you right now about this conversation? What's stuck out to you about this prayer? 
Do you feel like in your mind and in your life, things are very theoretical and good, but as you've tried to be the change, so to speak, as Gandhi would say, be the change, you've run into the wall? My guess is you probably have. I have, constantly. At the core of the message of Jesus is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. He needed to come into our world. Jesus needed to come into our world to break the power of sin in our lives so that we could be the people we want to be, that we feel somehow deep in us that we ought to be. And so I invite us to pray afresh here today, to ask for God right now to give you and I the power to allow Jesus to dwell in us even more. And for us to have somehow a knowledge of the unknowable, a knowledge of something that surpasses knowledge, a knowledge of this love that God has for us. And so, dear God, we admit that we need to be changed by you. Thank you for giving us the vision and dream to be a different sort of community, to be a diverse people, not just in this spiritual community, but even in our city and in our world. Many people believe already that we ought to be a humanity that somehow comes together, and yet we have not been able to. We ask for your power to be at work in our lives. We invite you to live in us. We invite you to show us what, it, what love is, what actual love is, your love. And we trust that that will transform us. We thank you, God, for this time. And it's in you, Jesus, we pray. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosnb.com.